Okay, here we go. February the 8th, 2015. Very, very cold, windy day in Anchorage, Alaska. Don't visit. Lecture discussion number 186. Is that correct? Uh, where is Dave? Dave, am I 186? I am 186. Let me get rid of the question mark. That's fantastic. Next week will also be 186, unless I remember. On the book of Romans, I see that all of you have, most every one of you, have survived last week's High Holy Day, or what is also known as the Supper of Baal, or if you wish, Supper Baal, where apparently, as you might know, the uh, head priest of Seattle was found to be most unacceptable. His final decision, or his final offering, if you'd like, uh, was immediately rejected on the basis of Stupidity. <laughs> and the onlookers were all stunned, as they should have been. Never in my history has a supper ball head priest blundered so badly. And naturally, all the Seattle worshipers uh, cried out in despair for his execution. They screamed repeatedly. You probably heard it. And they're still screaming. I still hear them screaming. What are they screaming? That's right. Lynch. Lynch. Clearly, they're calling for his hanging. I'm, I'm glad you laughed. I worked hard on that joke. I really did. That, was, that wasn't that easy. <laughs> anyway, other things besides the game made news, as you know, the commercials were particularly notable this year. They, uh, they've stood out. Now, you might think that's because they were good. No, they were, they were as bad as they could be. They much mirrored the high priest of the Seattle coaching staff's decision. And, and not, they were notable not because they were well conceived. To the contrary, most of these commercials this year were outright foolishness. Exhibit number one would be the cruise line advertising. Did you see that one? Uh, hopefully you saw it. Someone, and it always fascinates me, they all get together in a room. You know they do, and they say, okay, let's uh, hear your ideas. We're going to spend millions and millions of dollars for advertising that millions and millions of people will see. Let's do something really cool. And this is what they came up with. This is their committee idea. Or one individual, someone or a group of someones in the cruise ship business decided the best way to entice people to buy a cruise ship package was to promote evolutionary premises. Yeah, and they did it with respect to the influx of salt into the oceans. Essentially, a sodium chloride content is what they thought. That's what we'll do. We'll all get together. What the people want to hear is something on the influx of salt or sodium chloride percentages or content, percentage of salt in the seawater. That's what's going to work. And the, the gist of the ad was this. I'm going to sum it up. People, they said, have salt content. That's true. People have salt content. The oceans have salt content. Therefore, evolution is true. You then have a meaningless existence, so buy a ticket on a boat. That was the commercial. I got that right. I'm absolutely accurate. I'll get letters of praise from the company, I'm sure. And so I tried to figure out what they were doing. And I thought perhaps they reasoned that if a high percentage of their passengers fell prey to motion sickness, maybe that's what they were thinking, I considered, the result would be additive salt into the oceans, kind of what I now call the circle of salt. 
in their defense, I've often proposed that cruise ships, because of my predisposition to avoid them, but I've often proposed that cruise ships should and could just cut out the middleman. Just throw the food overboard. Save time. Instead of having the sick passengers projected into the, uh, over the rails, just, just dump it. It'll work faster, much more efficient, and we want efficiency. My method seemed ever more so uh, efficient. Think of all the employees you could remove. You just, you just need a, a front-end loader. Uh, full disclosure, I, I view cruise ships as floating Petri dishes filled with exotic diseases. Uh, and then, then once they get them pretty well filled with exotic diseases, they then further travel uh, to destinations that are replete with additional, likewise bizarre, uh, parasites and viruses. So now, and they, they do it for the purpose of accumulating as many as possible. That's what I think. And now they got a whole bunch of them. And once, once the boat is marinated, saturated with every bacteriological and parasitic organism they can find, uh, it sails out for days to percolate in open water. And that allows for the absolute exposure uh, for the unsuspecting passengers who think they're having fun. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but don't worry. If you get sick, what do they do? They give you a free ticket to the same boat. Yay. <laughs> as soon as you want to go, come on. <laughs> and so, considering this marketing uh, product strategy, it's no wonder that their advertising executives thought, hey, let's tell our customers that their lives are useless. Because that's what they did. That all that matters is salt. From salt, you came, and to salt, you shall return. That's the thesis. Hypothesis would be better of their commercial. And to be fair, I know where they got it from. There is a scientific dialogue on the salt accumulation in the oceans. There is one. It's a clock. It's a time measurement debate. Salt enters the oceans by uh, the erosion process, as you know, mostly rivers, but erosion would be the best uh, way to describe all of that process. And primarily, but also other means, um, besides erosion, there's atmospheric, for example, volcanic activity. Is another one, and sedimentation. All of those processes bring salt into the ocean. But salt is also extracted out, so you have to know how much is coming in and then how much is coming out, or your clock will not work. Unfortunately, uh, uh, many um, on the creation side, my side, our side, don't know that salt is extracted by natural processes as well. And, and much of the, uh, the extraction is a wave contact with land masses and uh, ocean floor. Uh, uh, I, I can't come up with my word now. Ocean interaction of uh, materials in the ocean floor. An exchange process. And about 25% of the salt that enters is extracted yearly. That's a yearly basis. And obviously the evolutionists have looked at this and they assume that seawater originally contained no sodium. And uh, thus, all the sodium that is in the ocean uh, has, uh, has accumulated at a uniform rate, which is called uh, uniformitarianism. And, and that was in that commercial. That's what, what they did. Obviously, they spoke to somebody that had some understanding of salt, and they decided it would make a wonderful commercial. No one would ask questions. No one on that 
commercial committee, I'm sure, asked the question, why, why begin, why should anyone begin, why would anyone postulate a saltless ocean? Why would you assume that it had no salt at its origin? And, and the argument is always the same here. Are the oceans the result of a slow, extremely slow, so slow you cannot measure the rate at which they are slow? Are the oceans the result of a slow, uniform process over vast amounts of time, vast amounts of time, unimaginable time? Or are they a very rapid, creative event designed by an intelligent agency? That's your two sides. The cruise line people decided to go with the most evolutionary concept they could glom onto. And if, by the way, that it is a very rapid uh, creative event initiated and controlled by an intelligent creator, an intelligent mind, then sodium levels would be a design condition. He would have put the right amount of sodium in. He's good at what he does. He thinks ahead. Big shock. But as you know as well, there's a a cataclysmic global flood, which is a sedimentary catastrophe. If that occurred, it would be accompanied by volcanic eruptions. And the two combinations would make an overwhelming impact. Salt influx into the ocean would have exploded. It would have dumped incredible amounts of sodium into the ocean systems. That would have affected a lot of things. Maybe because I can look at your faces and see how, how animated you are about the debate of salt influx into the oceans. We'll cover it again for weeks and weeks at a time, or not. <laughs> so does the geological evidence, by the way, support a, a, a global hydraulic? Hydraulic means water. Does it support a, a global hydraulic cataclysm? And when you analyze the geologies of the world, do they, does it support it? Well, absolutely. Of course it does. Everybody knows it. There really isn't any debate on the evidence. The debate is on the philosophy. Anyway, all of that to say the salt percentages in the oceans are not static. Uh, my salt in flux also is not static. I will go to the buffet and find the most salt I possibly can. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to increase my salt content dramatically by design. An intelligent agency? Perhaps not. But nonetheless, that's my plan. And my sugar intake is not static either. Uh, that's, a, that's a big problem for me as I age out of my system. In any, either case, I see no value in making a pilgrimage to the uh, C&H sugar facility to worship mounds of sugar. I don't think that's beneficial to me. That's making an analogy to the, uh, to the salt commercial. Nor do I have an impulse to return to salt water, which is exactly the same as saying that you will cease to exist. I'm not returning to salt water. Sorry about them, not really. Okay, maybe a little. And no intellectually feeble commercial can impact me to return to salt water, of all the silly things. Nothing is proved by salt ratios. I'm sorry if you thought ever, otherwise. Not really. Let me offer a suggestion. I know they're waiting for me. They always are. No, they're not. But let me offer a suggestion anyway to those who think 
our life, this life, is a worthless, purposeless waste that just goes back to salt. I want those folks to consider this. Keep your thoughts to yourselves. They are so ignorant, they don't deserve to be publicly presented. So shut up. How's that? Not polite, I know. I want them, if you want to bask in your misery with those few of you who have succumbed to your uh, concepts, your reasoning, go right ahead. Uh, That's fine. Any and all attempts to sell boat rides with monism uh, will be met with horror from those of us who have recognizes, who recognized the consequences of evolutionary philosophy. By that I mean the personal impact. Evolutionary philosophy has a personal impact. It isn't good. It's destructive. And the societal, societal repercussions, same thing. Monistic philosophy, evolutionary philosophy, materialism, whatever you want to call it, reductive materialism, uh, that's a culture of death. That's what they were telling you. You're going to die. And when you die, there's nothing. You're going to be salt. And you're drawn back to salt because you're salt. And so buy a boat ticket. Enjoy the food. That's the essence of the circle of salt. It's a culture of death. Death cannot be defeated, they say. Death prevails, they say. Buy a boat ticket. That was their concept. And, and you know that your Bible, God says no. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says I am life. I overcome death. You're not salt. He never describes you as a physical device. He always describes you as a living soul. You are not salt. You are a spiritual entity inside of a physical body that has salt in it. The body makes no decisions about where it's going. It's not lured like some lemming over a cliff. Most of that, by the way, was a hoax. Did you know that? Almost all your nature shows that you see on TV are all hoaxes. Almost all, if not all. I could say all and be fine. I won't. There's somewhere an outlier. Here's a big, fantastic piece of information given to you free at beautiful downtown Cliffside Community Chapel. Don't believe what you get on TV. Don't do it. Anyway, notice that uh, that the guys who want you to buy a ticket, their, their means is to sell death. And notice that they must sell death. And that's what, what makes the Bible absolutely distinct and unique. There is nothing like it. Jesus Christ says, no, uh, I give life. Life is free. Okay? That just... That's uh, just more of my ranting. Where are we? We are at Zechariah today. Zechariah 12, 1 through 9. Very important scripture place to be. It's amazing here. And we're currently, we're running along two parallel paths is what we're doing. We have the wicked lazy ability path. I hope you remember and know what I mean by that. That's out of Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Uh, what we call the wicked lazy. Sometimes we'll put, uh, we'll put uh, the lion in there. Did I do that in here? The wicked lazy lion path? Let me see if I did. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes. 
No, actually, I put ability. Okay, we'll do that instead. The wicked lazy ability path. So wicked lazy is going to explain um, uh, ability for us in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And, and that includes, by the way, the lion in the street. So let me put that in there as well. So I have wicked, lazy, ability, lion, path. And it also includes what else? Do you know what else it includes? Whenever you're talking about wicked and lazy, uh, you're going to define ability. And in order to figure out ability, you have to back up to find out what lazy means. And that takes you to the lion and the bowl of food, right? And what else? Do you remember? Those of you who were here, none of you were here. It's okay then. (laughs) The lion, the bowl, and at the same time, the lazy man... Uh, it says a lion in the street is going to kill him. He won't eat from his bowl of fuel, fool, food. Food he refuses to, and he also says he's the smartest guy in every room he walks into. That is the definition of lazy. That tells you what lazy means when God says lazy. He does not mean a physical process. He means a spiritual issue. Lazy is defined spiritually, not physically. You, he, God will not call you lazy if you don't mow your, gla- your grass. He will call you lazy if you have a physical, I'm sorry, a spiritual failure. Does that make sense? Hope it does. So that's one. That's one path. The wicked, lazy, ability, lion, bull, wisest uh, delusion is what it is. Or the wise delusion. Those who believe they are wise when they are actually deluded, oblivious. The other track is what? Does anybody remember? You can yell out here. There's not enough of you to get in trouble. That's, that's track number one. Track number two, the other path we're going down simultaneously at the same time. We call that what? Superposition. That's correct. Two places simultaneously. The other track is the stretching out. <laughs> Stretch. It's hard to spell on a board. The stretching out of the heavens. What comes next? The foundations. Laying the foundations. Let me put the laying down because that's important. The laying of foundations of the earth. And then the last one, of course, is forming the souls. In this case, I'll just leave it singular. Forming the soul. So those are the two that we are, um, are the creation of living souls, if you wish to put it that way. Those are the two tracks that we're uh, going down at the same time. And obviously, I am, I am submitting to you, or I'm proposing, that the two paths are going to intersect somewhere. You're going to figure out what's going on in Matthew 25, that parable of the three uh, men who got talents of gold, who got gold from God, and you're, uh, and, and you're going to look at what it means to stretch out the heavens and the laying of the foundations of the earth and the creation of the soul spirit. And they're going to come together somewhere. Somehow the meaning of the lion in the streets and the bowl of food plus the delusion of wisdom is going to interlace with traverse, if you will, across the accelerating expansion of the universe. And I've said now for, for a few weeks the universe is expanding. Not only is it expanding, but the expansion is accelerating. So there was a time when it was, say if you wish, here. Then it began slowly to expand. 
And now that expansion is accelerating at a very rapid rate, and that uh, is important to understand. Well, that, that's stretching out. The God, God says all over his Old Testament, I'm doing that. That's me. I'm the one that's expanding the universe. And so I call that the mystery of the expansion, the mystery of the laying of the foundations of the earth. What does he mean by that? And the creation of the living souls. You're a living soul. The angel, angelic realm is living souls. So he says that these three things, stretching the, the accelerated expansion of the universe, something about laying the foundations of the earth, whatever that means, and the creation of your soul or your personhood, your mind, those three connect. They are together for a purpose. So if you can figure out why he's stretching out the universe and accelerating it, you can then figure out why he formed your soul and how he did it. Because they relate. All three of them relate. Same thing up here. If I can define what the lion in the street that's going to kill somebody maybe, what that bowl of food is all about, and why he thinks he's the smartest guy in the world, I can define lazy. If I can define lazy, I can define ability. And then I'm saying to you that ability has something to do with this. The stretching out, the laying foundations, and the forming of the soul. They're going to intersect for you. Does that make sense? I hope so. If not, what do we have to do? Yes, I tell you that you have to come ten times in a row. Yes, sir. Oh, we're getting to that in a minute. Forgiveness of sins is all about this. So uh, you're very good. And I'm saying to you that if, uh, if I've lost you, which is uh, what happens here every Sunday, we repeat it. Rinse, repeat. Everyone's lost. Some people are very good at pretending not to be lost. You want to not, don't sit next to them. Go find the rest of us. In any event, you will get it. How do I know you will get it? Takes ten times in a row. It's a trick. Not ten times over ten years. That won't work. So, uh, to repeat, somehow the meaning of the lion in the streets and the bowl of food plus the delusion of wisdom will interlace with the accelerating expansion of the universe, the mystery of the laying of the foundations of the earth and the creation of our souls and our spirits. And that's the, my immediate plan anyway today. And maybe a little next week. Last Sunday I rushed through because it was supper all Sunday. I just went as fast as I could so that people could run to the buffet table and get all the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so I rushed, and I don't know if it's going to be on the Internet or not. So let, let me uh, kind of deal with that a little bit. I wanted to get through the aspect of time and motion. And I made the observation that God created his universe, and then he did something that, uh, frankly, would have been logically unexpected. He created the whole universe, and there it is. And then what did he do next? And you have to ask, what if he didn't do it as well? So always teach yourself, by the way, to ask, what if the other happened? Obviously, he's omniscient, and obviously he can't make a mistake, therefore. He, he considers all possibilities. Actually, he doesn't. His first possibility or his first decision is always perfect and incorporates everything because he's omniscient. He's not doing what we do. Don't anthropomorphize. 
We sit down and we make a list. Over here's the good ideas, over here's the bad ideas. He doesn't have any bad ideas. And he's only got one thing on his list. Understand how he is. But what if he didn't expand it? That's a human way of, of approaching it. What if he didn't start moving it? But the first thing that he did after he created it is he put it in motion. God created his universe and then he placed it in motion. His creation moves. That's an extraordinary truth. Not only does it move, but it also expands. And again, I submit it's expanding at an accelerating rate. It's speeding up, to put it simply. And movement is evidence of something. If something is moving and it is not alive, then what is it? You have things that move all around you. What do you call them? Movement is evidence, uh, of first and foremost, of time. Also entropy, or uh, eventually, if you wish, uh, thermodynamic. Uh, uh, Characteristics. So it's long been my belief, and I said it last Sunday, that this entangled, just mixed together, swirling, rotating of the universe with its trillions and trillions of what? What does it have? It has trillions and trillions and trillions of parts. And it's now speeding up in its expansion. I said last week it's some kind of gigantic machine. Specifically, I said, it's probably a clock. He likes time. He made it. And he likes to give you evidence of it. Anytime something is moving, notice how I said that that was a pun. Anytime something is moving, okay, when something is moving, it is displaying time. I can't gauge time by movement. I can also do it by decay. It is obvious that I'm decaying. If you were here last Sunday, this Sunday, I look worse. That's going to keep happening. But I believe it's a gigantic machine, and part of which, one, uh, the one aspect of it is to give evidence of time, also gravitational forces. But I want you to focus on it being a watch. They've called God a watchmaker for centuries. He gave you a gigantic machine to watch move. And we've learned to tell time by it. And we've learned to figure out location by it. Because it moves. And we move. And it's all entangled together. Remember, God is specific. Isaiah 44:24. Can't put that on the board enough. Isaiah 44:24. He stretches out the heavens. He's the one that is moving the heavens, stretching them out, accelerating it. And he says this, that he stretches out the heavens all alone. He's doing it all alone. In case you thought he needed help or that he had help. It is not a natural process. The Bible says what we can prove now, astrophysics, physicists have proved without dispute that the, that there is an expansion, a movement, red Doppler, Doppler red light shift, I'm sorry, red shift, Doppler effect. We have evidence that it is a, that it is moving. He says, I am doing it by myself. That's what the Bible says. All alone, by myself. 
It's not a natural process. It is not something that's happening on its own. He's doing it. God has not abandoned his creation, and it's now just simply expanding by itself. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, all alone, by myself, I'm directly involved in the movement of the universe. Which leads me to believe that he has to be. We'll get to that next week. So, with that, let's read Zechariah 12, 1 through 9. And we'll go to the next part of this mystery. So I'll go really fast. After I get some more medicine. Ah, Which accelerates my concentration. Not true, but you'd think Coca-Cola would reimburse me at some point. We could try, huh? Okay, here it goes. Zechariah 12.1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold. So he gives you those three things again. He does it all the time in the Old Testament. Those three things. Then he says, behold, so you know something amazing is going to happen now. He's going to tell you something that is ridiculously powerful. I will make Jerusalem a cup. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Northern Israel, southern Israel. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. And that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the people with uh, the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall, Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them, and that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, and the angel of the Lord, that's Christ himself, right? Before them, it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So somehow, the stretching out of the heavens, the accelerating of the universe, the expansion of the universe, and the laying of the foundations of the earth, we have figured that out yet, and the forming of your soul spirit have something to do with what? There it is. We just read it. It has something to do with saving Israel. So the context of saving Israel are those three things. Stretching out of the heavens, laying the foundations of the earth, and forming the soul. That has something to do with saving Israel. And it's not a coincidence that he put it there first before he told you. I am the one that's doing this, so now you know I'm going to save Israel. Because the one that does this will save Israel. They are related. 
it is natural, logical, that the one that is doing this, these three things is going to save Israel. It's not a coincidence. It's scripture. No coincidences in scripture. And hopefully you're starting to piece it all together. Okay? So, you're figuring out. Let me make a couple of places here so I can make a list. You're figuring out why the by myself is what I call them. He has a... Oops, I can't spell myself. By myself, it's my little name for them. And you're, you've decided that these things that he does all alone, by himself, by myself, those are connected to Israel. And I hope you've begun to recognize that there are incredible signs in the Bible. And they're laying right there. And hardly anybody finds them. That's really a shame. I always come across people that are clamoring for a sign. They want a sign. I want to say to them, here's your sign. Thank you for laughing. You have to be old to know that was a joke. But everyone's always clamoring for a sign. Entire movements out there. We have names for them. They call them the signs and wonders movement. You will come across them. They want signs. They want wonders. But those groups, by the way, you'll find out really fast, they are not interested in the signs that are in the Bible, or what I call God's signs. They demand that God perform for them a sign. They're gimme me's. Gimme me my sign. And that kind of thinking is absolute perfect backwards. should be a t-shirt. Absolute perfect backwards. God is not going to. He is not. He is not. God will never perform for you. God is not your organ grinder monkey. You make the music and he jumps around. Not, that's another t-shirt. God is not going to dance for you. Or me. Or anybody. He's God. You're not. I'm not. He will not jump when you cry jump. If he did any of those things, danced for you, performed for you, jumped for you, then that would be sin. And he has no sin. Sorry, not really. Anyway, that's I digress again. That's ranting idiot stuff, isn't it? Let's make a list, because list makers are going to list, and that might help you. We'll call today's list. I have, I have a title. How about that? We instead of number one eighty-six. Actually, we have a title, a subtitle. I call it the by myselfs, as I said, or the without us, if you will, without you, without me. List things that he's doing alone. Let me do a better job of spelling myself. The by myselfs. So this is a list of things that God does alone. Number one, obviously, one of these three. Let's just take, he creates, he creates souls, spirits. That's what he does. Things that are non-physical, that are running you. 
Your body is not running you. Your mind, your spirit, your soul is running your body. Don't ever get confused. He creates your soul and your spirit. Then he forms the foundation. Well, not then. It's not. He forms the foundations of the earth. What does that mean? That's very important. He stretches out or he expands. He accelerates the universe, the parts of the universe. And then he does something that uh, I think is critical to know. Life is only here. There's life in the universe, but it is only on this planet. There is no life anywhere else that is physical. There's spiritual life, but no physical life. Okay? And there's a fine-tuning here. Very important to know that fine-tuning. That would be something like salt in the in your body or in the ocean. There's fine-tuning. So start, by the way, with a few definitions when you see those. Let's just take foundations. What does he mean uh, by, uh, what is God's definition when he says he is forming the foundations of the earth? What does he mean? What does God think? How does he define foundations? Are you thinking concrete? How about piling? How about turtles? That's a joke too. But if you're thinking any of those, you're thinking in the wrong direction. But you're thinking, uh, now all you have to do is go into the right direction. Let's go ahead and stay in the wrong direction. Are the foundations of the earth, are they physical? What do you think? Are they spiritual? Are they a combination of both? What is everlasting to him? If it's a foundation that's not going to move, is it physical or spiritual? So consider all of that. Okay, let's move along. I've got more on my list. I'll move it over here. That'll just get you started on what, what it means, what God means. Again, if you have a dictionary, a foundation, look up what he says. He does. He gives you a dictionary, doesn't he? He tells you where they are. Then, as uh, Dana asked, something that he does all alone, no one else could possibly do it. It's ridiculous to think anything but God could forgive sin. Anyone. He is the only one that can forgive sin. And that, by the way, has a companion to it. Not only is he forgiving sin, but he is also the only one that can judge sin. Why is it that he's the only one who can forgive sin and the only one who can judge sin? Because one of the requirements is omniscience. Another one, therefore, is omnipotence. Another one, therefore, is omnipresence. No one has that but him. And you also have to be outside of time. Fortunately, we have a God that's all of those. And then he says that one of the things he does has to do with resurrection. I'll put resurrection, but it's much more complicated than that. He calls himself the resurrection, right? There's an I in there. The, the singular resurrection. I am the only one that does resurrection. Have other people done resurrections? No. What they have done, as I like to say recently, 
Uh, good health is merely the slowest possible rate at which you die. So anyone that was resurrected was not really resurrected. All we did was affect the rate at which they are going to die. Does that make sense? Everyone that is resurrected has died again. So good health is merely the slowest possible rate of death that you can achieve. Some of us have sped that process up dramatically. I'm going to do so again when I go back to the buffet. I have no self-control. That's just how it is. You young people, you don't know how much trouble you're in. But uh, I recommend that you have a picture of me and you look at it every morning and go, oh my goodness, I better start exercising. Can't end up like that. I'm a, I'm a great motivator for many. Christ says, I am the solution of death and only I am the solution of death. There is no other solution to death but me. I've summed it up by calling it the singular resurrection. But it's the same thing. It's the solution of death. But now... Now we have the interesting one, number eight, something that he does alone. You know what it is. We just read it, right? And it's all because of Zechariah 12, 19. We add to that what? What's number eight? You can do this. You're still awake, most of you. Half of you, okay, a quarter of you. He saves Israel. I always say, It is okay if you get much needed rest by sleeping through the lecture. The only time it's bad is when I sleep through the lecture, which has happened, oh, maybe a dozen times, Tom's. Now he's saving Israel. God intends to restore and save Israel, and Jesus Christ is going to do it by, he says so, I will do it by myself. He did it at the Red Sea for them. Moses said, shut up. Okay, that's not really in there, but it gives you the drift. Shut up. Stand still. Right? Wait. God's going to do it by himself. God, uh, Jesus intends to do it again. All alone by himself. We who accompany Exodus 14, 13 through 14, will do the same as the Jews. We will hold our peace. Which means what? Shut up. You've been to weddings. Speak now or forever shut up. That's what the pastor says, right? Don't talk. I think there's a new, a new element to that. Turn off your phones. In any event, he's going to do it by himself, and we're going to watch, and we're not going to say anything, and we won't need phones. Those who accompany him, he will fight for Israel by himself, by myself. It's one of the by myself, it's one of the things he does alone. The sign of Jonah and the sign of Christ fighting for Israel. Next week we'll get to why they are almost the same. You want a sign? Look at the sign of Jonah and the sign of him fighting for Israel by himself. Two magnificent connected signs. Our generation, you folks, me, we can turn on the TV and we can watch the beginning of the sign of Christ fighting alone for the nation of Israel. You can watch it. It's happening. It's going to happen today. It happened yesterday. It'll happen tomorrow. 
And by the way, that explains the type, timing of the rapture, as well as the primary purpose. What did you learn today if you turned on the news? We had the, uh, the great Christian theologian uh, of England, Prince Charles, the deep thinker that he is. I'm kidding. That's all sarcasm for those of you who will write me. Prince Charles, though, was smart enough to figure out, hey, the Christians are leaving the Middle East. Why are they leaving? They're either leaving spiritually or physically, or they're either being wiped out or they're running because they know what's coming. There aren't any Christians going to be left in the Middle East one way or the other. Also, what else is happening? The Jews are going. Christians are leaving and the Jews are going. That is the beginning of the by myself. We're watching all of this. And the purpose of the rapture, as you know, is not to get you out of trouble. You're going to be in plenty of trouble. If you want to be in trouble, don't worry. You'll have your troubled times in front of the judgment seat of Christ. It won't be pleasant for all of us, but we'll be there. You'll be saved. Well, we'll be saved. But we're going to be held accountable for our lives and our decisions. And it won't be nice. But he will wash us. And it'll be fine. It's better than the other plan. Infinitely better. But the purpose of the rapture is not to get you out of judgment. It's to isolate the nation of Israel so that they will turn towards their God. That's the purpose. Israel right now, everyone thinks that they're being left alone. We have an extraordinarily hostile executive branch in this country against the nation of Israel. They intend to leave that country alone. But Israel will never be alone. They might think they're alone, but they will never be alone. And the world, however, will believe that uh, otherwise. And we and us and you and me, we get to watch the world believe Israel has been left alone. And it's happening increasingly. They're, everybody thinks they're going to isolate them. And then they, then what? Destroy them. Zechariah 12.1 talks about them attempting to destroy now you know why people like Dr. Fruchtenbaum, he wants to go to Israel during the tribulation. He doesn't want to go with us. He wants to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he'll be an old man. And he's going to fight like what? He's going to fight like the mighty men of David. He wants that so badly. I got an opportunity to talk to him about it. Please let me stay and fight for Israel. Israel is not going to be left alone. Jesus Christ is waiting. The creator of all things will not leave Israel. He will save them by himself. So, he creates soul spirits. He forms the foundation. He expands accelerates his universe. And he saves Israel. This one absolutely directly connected to these three. He puts them right in order for us to understand how they're connected. Finally, Cliffside favorite word, finally. A few of you uh, want more information or direction on the definition of ability. I'm not really figuring it out. We'll figure it out the same way that we're doing this. 
If I say to you he's expanding the, the universe, ask uh, why does he expand it? Why didn't he just leave it still? What's his plan? What would have happened if he had left it still? What's happening because he's moving it? If he left it still, what would, what would people think if nothing moved? Does anything need to move? We'd say it's handy that the earth rotates. That'd be handy so that we all wouldn't live on one side, right? There'd be a cooling element there. That would be good. But he could have adjusted the temperature of the sun. Why does he move us around the sun? We don't need snow. How many would like to not have snow? Yes, no snow for me. I don't need this temperature. I'd be happy. So why did he move it? Because he moved it. Ask the same thing with ability. We know that so far, we know in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the definition of ability. We know that ability is something that is either more or less. One can have more ability, one can have less ability in the parable, right? The one that had less ability, he got one talent. The one that had more ability, he got two talents. The one that had the most ability, he got five golds. If you want to think, don't think of it, by the way, talent. We have taken that word which meant an amount of gold and we've turned it, we've perverted it into nonsense. We use it every day. He's got talent. I go, really? He's got gold? No, he can dance. Not the same. Bible, think gold. Or silver if you want, or think gold, silver if you were here for that lecture. So, one can have more ability, one can have less ability. So, think about that. Gold is, is given based on the basis of the amount of ability one has. Next, I want you to consider the inverse again. What if... What, what do we know that ability is not? Well, we know ability is not singing and dancing. It's not playing the piano. Sorry, Lindsay. It's not intelligence or attractiveness. Notice the general inference there that I just made. Attractiveness is, um, I, I proposed right there in a general way, uh, perhaps inferred it, that uh, attractiveness is exclusive from intelligence. I offer as Exhibit A, Hollywood. Uh, the more attractive, it's a proportional ratio. The more attractive you are apparently, based on the evidence of Hollywood, the less intelligent you are. I propose today Brian Williams. Never mind. Okay, ability is not a skill or a trait. So what remains? What is an attribute of our existence? Let me answer that. If it isn't a physical element, what is it? If it isn't a performance or a skill or, an, uh, um, or some kind of characteristic, what is it? It must be spiritual. So what is an attribute of our existence? Existence requires a couple of things in order to be existence. You don't have existence unless you are immortal. You must be immortal or you don't have existence. You have some temporal condition that ceases. So it's just waiting to cease. So you have a time to wait to cease. Not existence. And existence requires willingness. Will. You must have will. And that will must have some element of freedom to it. So. Wrestle with that inability and see if you solve it. Let's have the musicians come forward in their very solemn procession. <laughs>